through the trees. I will find you. Oh, oh God, I don't, even, I don't know the fucking words. I'm pretty it's sure probably, Natalie had it right. No, it's find you. Through the trees lyrics. Oh my God, it's so bad. Who wrote this? Adam Brody. No. <laughs> Satan? They have a genius page for this. Um, of course they do. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Cause I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing now. <laughs> the song is going to be singing sing all day. How many episodes have we opened with Natalie singing? Um, I think a few. <laughs> If it's not me, it's you. I think definitely with the uh, open up your heart and let the sun. Yeah, that was creepy though. Let the sun. And then I think we open with me going, run, 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 run. <laughs> Time to run and hide. And it creeps and it leaps. It creeps and it leaps. Yeah, yeah. We could start this one with our rendition of "Through the Trees." <laughs> I'm still here breathing now. It's like it's stuck in my head. The song is not good. Like it's important it's to know that the song good. is not good. But the part where he's like, cause I'm still here breathing now, it's like good. Can we also say up front how wild it is that one, JK Simmons is in this movie. I know. And two, that he has a fucking hook for a hand. I know. I love that they don't mention it. I, I think yeah. I like to think about this being like J.K. Simmons's like twin brother from his character on Whiplash. I think that like I think that would make a really interesting like family dinner situation. I know he is wearing sweater vests in this movie, or I'm pretty sure, but like what if he just goes home and puts on a white t shirt every night? Oh, it's a white t-shirt, not a black yeah, t-shirt. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the duality of man. You have to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So his name, it's not Fletcher, it's like Sketcher or something. I hate that. <laughs> Sketcher. <laughs> <Jerry> Sketchers. <laughs> Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, the podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're steering clear of satanic indie rock bands and tracking down the succubus of Devil's Kettle as we unpack Karen Kusama's 2009 film, Jennifer's Body. I personally believe that you should speak for yourself because I am 100% not avoiding a satanic indie rock band. <laughs> Especially not because it has... Yeah, especially uh, not Brody. one that was led by frontman Adam Brody. Uh, <laughs> hold on, let me redo my intro. Welcome to the Adam Brody podcast, where we... <laughs> this time with eyeliner. I can't wait for us to do a third movie in our Adam Brody, Adam Brody trilogy. Uh, it'll certainly happen. I bet it's either going to be Promising Young Woman or Scream 4. 
Probably both, to be honest. I would vote Scream 4. That one was pretty fun. I would vote both. Yeah, I was like, Laura's probably going to pick Promising a Woman at some point. I'll just get the vibe. Probably. (laughs) See, there she is. She's like, yeah, Yeah. probably. That also has Bo Burnham, so yes. Oh, we do love Bo Burnham. We do love Bo Burnham. Mm Mm-hmm. And Emerald Fennell, the director oh, and yeah. writer, won an Oscar for writing. Yeah. So woohoo! I th- that would be that'll be a that'll be a interesting episode because that movie was incredibly polarizing. So that would be yeah fun to talk about. Yeah. Jennifer's body is also, I think, pretty polarizing. I definitely think that this one though has been one of those movies that's been reevaluated within mm-hmm. the last decade, and it has a much more favorable overall view now than it did before it's rotten tomato score has not caught up to that yet um but <laughs> not yet this is we're still sitting at a 45 percent on rotten tomatoes for this film which is honestly shocking to me like i literally i expected like a 60 maybe so when i looked at it this like today this morning and i saw that it was 45 i was like damn really like i know it's not perfect but come on well, like, <laughs> i i will say my experience re-watching the film was a little not eye-opening. It, it was interesting because I remember I had seen this several times before and was just like totally in love with it. And not that I fell out of love with it in any way, but I think watching it again, I was like, oh yeah, this is actually, this is really campy and like the yeah. dialogue is not, it, it's a little cringy at parts, but like also that's kind of what the movie is. So if you expect anything else then I could see being disappointed but if you expect just a fun time with like crazy shit happening and teenagers being teenagers that's what the movie is I really think that this is one of those movies that is going to become more beloved as time goes on like as new generations keep Mm -hmm. discovering it I think it's going to be even more well well received I think the big issue because I also every time I watch this movie I always pick up on some of the dialogue that just doesn't hit Oh yeah. The way the way that you can tell that Diablo Cody wanted it to hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's trying very very hard to be Heathers and yeah. I yeah, obviously I did sure. not grow up in the 80s, right? So like maybe maybe people <laughs> when Heathers that came out were like, I mean this movie is trying really really hard to be like super cool weird teen speak cuz that's yes. how as somebody who was a teenager in 2009. <laughs> um, that's not that's how, how talked. That's how this movie feels to me. Like it feels, it feels like it was trying too hard to do like cool, edgy teen speak. For you're sure. so jello. You're so gr- you're such green yeah. jello. Like it is trying to. It, it was trying to make fetch happen. Basically, is what this movie was trying to do, and it just didn't. It, it wasn't. Some of it. Some of it is fantastic. Like some of these lines <laughs> are gold, but there are plenty that are not. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to second that 100% because rewatching it, I was like, it's almost like the writer didn't either didn't know how teens spoke or was trying to make it funny. Like, I know this is not how they speak, but I'm going to make them say these things anyway. So I was like, well, I, I mean, don't know. Diablo I don't Cody know. did Juno, right? I was, that's yeah. literally what I was about to say. Like, Diablo Cody did write Juno. That's true. But yeah. I think that the issue was that. I'm going to say something controversial yet brave. I think (laughs) that the biggest difference between Jennifer's body and Juno is that when they were editing and finishing up Jennifer's body, they wanted it to be a movie that it is not. I agree with that wholeheartedly. What do you mean by that? Like, I think that the 
packaging of Jennifer's body, and this a lot of this comes down to the marketing of it as well. Like that's what I was gonna say. They are gearing it towards an audience that this movie was not for. Yeah, teenage like, boys. Yeah, exactly. Like this movie is not really for teenage boys. Mm-hmm. And they were really, really, really trying to make a movie for teenage boys. Yeah, right. I think that's part of the reason that this movie doesn't like hit super well for me. Especially because I'm not, like, a huge, like, campy movie person in the first place. True. But, like, I like the ideas that are coming into this movie that, like, they're playing with. But I don't like the movie itself. And I, like, I think that that is completely valid. Mm-hmm. I I will say that we've been, we've been already analyzing this movie. I want to just be out front and be like, I love this movie. I think this movie is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that this is going to be a really fun one for us to all describe our own personal experiences with it because this all came out like when we were actually teenagers. So mm-hmm. we're fully in the thick of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, did you guys both see this like when it came out? I don't think so. I didn't see this until we watched it together not that long ago. That doesn't shock me because you don't like fun. Um, I love fun. <laughs> wow, F is for God. friends who do things together. You don't like you don't like like campy like horror comedy vibes. So like I'm not shocked that you didn't see it. I don't remember when I saw this. I think I was a teenager, but I don't remember what age. I saw this when it came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. Like I rented it, it with my friend at the time. I might have rented it at Blockbuster. I don't know. I was just making a callback to the several times you've mentioned getting. <laughs> movies at Blockbuster. Yeah. I, this is definitely a movie that I got at Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Blockbuster. When I first watched it when I was fucking, what, like 14, I did not like this movie. Really? I don't think I knew that. It comes on strong. Looking back on it now, uh, okay, I'll, I will say this. I watched this movie again in college. So I watched it my freshman year of high school when it came out. And then I watched it again in college. And when I watched it in college, I loved it. And one thing that I noticed when I was watching in college is that the only thing that I remembered from the entire movie, like there was one thing that I remember from the whole ass movie, and it was the kiss between Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. Of course. (laughs) That was the only thing that I remembered. And like now, looking back on that as like a 28-year-old woman who understands herself, I know (laughs) that teenage me watched this movie and got really uncomfortable and then said that I didn't like it. (laughs) So that's what happened there. Like, I remember thinking that it was, like, relatively funny, but I was like, this is just, like, stupid bullshit for boys. Like, I don't like Mm -hmm. this movie. Like, I'm not gay. And then, like... (laughs) Um, So... I watched it in college and I was like, oh yeah, this is like really cool, like subversive, like Mm -hmm. feminist 2000s horror filmmaking. And now I'm just Mm -hmm. like, it's like campy garbage and it's like a really gay movie and I love it. So um, we've come through like an entire journey. Yeah, I love that trajectory. I was going to say, I also rewatched this in college because I was thinking I was going to write a paper on it. And then I watched it and I was like... I don't know. I, I just wasn't feeling it for some reason. I didn't, so I didn't write the paper on it. What but, class was it for? Uh, I think it might have been rhetorical criticism. I, I think we were just supposed to do kind of like a one of our papers on anything. Yeah, one yeah. of our <laughs> one of our many papers. But I think I, I I still like it. I I actually think I like it a little less now than I did before, just because 
I'm also not super into the camp, but I appreciate it for what it is. Um, I think I'm a little bit more like Heidi in, in that way, but I do still like how it's just a fun time and it's gross. It's kind of gross. It's kind of funny. It's a little scary at points. Like mm-hmm. I didn't remember. I'll talk about it later, but there's one scene where I was like, holy shit, this is actually freaky. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good, it's a good popcorn movie. I would say. I feel like in a perfect world, I would be able to rewrite this movie and make it better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that if you cut out the like vehicle of Amanda Seyfried telling us the story yeah you know like emperor's new groove style like a framed narrative <laughs> yeah yeah i also i agree i i think that if we got rid of that it would be a huge step in the right direction <laughs> that was gonna be one of my questions at the end when we were done like how do you think that this movie would have been improved had it been made today because i think there's a lot of room for improvement and i think that maybe if it was made now it would be a lot better mm-hmm yeah, I think that there are certain themes in the film that we're going to get to that yeah. if it wasn't 2009, I think would be better explored. Definitely. But it was 2009, so we were just like wading into the shallow end of a pool here in terms of like <laughs> movies movies about teen girls that are, I guess, more nuanced, but also movies mm-hmm. about like sexuality that are more nuanced. Because there's yeah. a lot of shit going on in this movie that I think really has the potential to be more than it is Mm -hmm. but you know we're covering it in like lip gloss and fallout boy so it's kind of hard to see through that i love that i fucking love that percent and fallout boy that's this movie yeah i think that in one sense it feels like you said it's trying too hard almost so it's like i was immediately distanced from it because it felt I don't want to sound like a a film bro or anything, but like kind of artificial in that sense. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. really get into the story that much because I felt removed from everything that was happening. And I think part of that could have been because of the way they framed the narrative with having Needy narrate it. And I Mm -hmm. wasn't too keen on how they opened it either, but we'll get to that. And part of that I think is because it's also trying to be like a teen teen comedy drama that just doesn't I think the language is probably the biggest thing for me that doesn't work so like it almost seems like it's trying to do different things and I'm not sure which thing to take seriously if any mm-hmm. I get that yeah like do I do I watch this as a teen comedy or drama or do I, I watch this as a campy horror film and not to say that you can't blend those tones but it felt a little disjointed to me yeah, I think that also goes back to like what Natalie was saying about how the editing of this film really does it a disservice in some ways, because it does feel like what maybe originally had been the idea of it got lost along the way in trying to be like a more campy high school movie. Despite the fact that it's rated R, so most high schoolers couldn't see it anyway. Mm-hmm. It should yeah. have been college kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, I think it's a really, really good example of what kind of was happening in the 2000s that sort of putting mm-hmm. that started putting mm-hmm. us onto this path of where we are now in horror, because this movie is probably one of our only examples of that time period where it's like we're just going to put all girls front and center, mm-hmm. and For this sure. is going to be a story about women in a way that's normally 
told about boys because I think I reading like, through yeah. the Wikipedia development section there's like talking about how when they were writing the movie the writer duo which was Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman who both did Juno together like Heidi said they wanted to just basically do the Lost Boys but with girls and that's kind of what we got here and I think that you can see a lot of really interesting genre elements sprinkled in because you have like that rape revenge aspect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have the good girl gone bad sort of aspect there's like a carry thing happening like (laughs) there is that like horror female sexuality thing happening like all this stuff that we really like Mm -hmm. and that planted the seeds for a bunch of movies that come after this that i really really love means yeah. it's really important like i i think that this and ginger snaps are the two movies of the 2000s that i think do so so much for female driven horror mm-hmm. and it's interesting that they're both on opposite ends of the decade and are both so incredibly different yeah but different. also have yeah. incredibly similar themes <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i agree that with this you get a lot i mean basically the three themes that come to my mind are sexuality violence and how those are intertwined and monstrosity Mm -hmm. and i think that those are all big themes that you know are they're big in general in horror but especially horror that is centered on women so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'll stand by this film you know just for that it might not be the best film but i mean i think it's still a very it's an important chapter in the history of horror also the soundtrack is really good (laughs) (laughs) it's very 2009 when I was watching it, I was like, oh my god, I know all of these songs. What I a know. throwback. The soundtrack is, like, really, really good. Except for Through the Trees, which Through is not the it. Trees. I know, but is also the one, the only song out of the entire soundtrack that's stuck in my head right now. <laughs> yeah. It also features Death by White Lies, which was also in... A literally! I said that! I literally texted Natalie and I was like, how you've managed to pick another movie that features that song? (laughs) Because all I have is taste. (laughs) (laughs) Like, literally all I have is taste. This movie freaking opens with Kiss with a Fist by Florence and the Machine. Mm -hmm. It opens with that? I thought it was, I thought that was later. Well, it's one of the earlier songs in the movie. I don't know if it actually opens with it. It's been a week since I watched it. I'm pretty sure it's when they're putting the dance together. So that's at the end. The soundtrack opens with it. Oh, okay. I, I know that. <laughs> I'm I'm wrong. <laughs> um, it's okay. Literally, so good. <laughs> I'm carving this in stone. That all Natalie has is taste. <laughs> I also want to just like quickly shout out Megan Fox in this one because I feel like when this had come out, like part of the reason it might have tanked was because. People were being unkind to her. Mm-hmm. And Fully she's unkind. actually pretty good in this. She's she's really good in this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just a shout out to her. Yeah, like, I, we don't need to comment on Megan Fox as a person. Like, that's not what this podcast is about. Yeah. But <laughs> she was definitely treated incredibly unfairly by the public at large in the late 2000s. And mm-hmm. it sucks that her doing this movie kind of, like, ended her career for a while because... It was so poorly received and like she got blackballed after all that shit went down on the Transformers movies. And it's like, that's, (sighs) Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good example of the time period that we were in at this. Like there was no way this movie was going to win. So they might as well just given us the movie that we deserved. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I wanted to also just quickly mention 
if you scroll down to the very end of the Wikipedia page for Jennifer's body, there's a see also section. It just says, see also Ginger Snaps, a 2000 film with a similar plot. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we will do Ginger Snaps. Oh, 100% we're going to do Ginger Snaps. It's like one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like I said earlier, Jennifer's body is a 2009 American comedy horror film. It is directed by Karen Kusama, as Laura already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Karen Kusama has a pretty big name is a pretty big name in the genre at large. On top of this, she also did The Invitation, which a lot of people really like. I am controversially not one of those people, but I do respect it. Um, she also had a segment in the horror anthology Double X or XX. I don't know if you guys have seen that. No, I haven't because I suck. <laughs> I've actually seen that one, but I don't remember obviously don't remember anything it was years ago i know that she has one annie clark who is saint vincent also has one. Oh, i do recommend xx definitely mm-hmm. and the invitation is is good i it's not my kind of movie i thought it was worth a watch i actually have seen that one so yeah i i think that a lot of other people really really like it and i think that they're completely valid it just it's just not my fave mm-hmm. okay so this made it premiered at the 2009 toronto international film festival and it made $31.6 million in the box office with a budget of $16 million. So it did it did make a profit, mm-hmm. just not necessarily a large one. And as we already kind of alluded to, critical reception of this movie was not, not great. <laughs> They're just jello. Okay, so it has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes for the critics, and the audience score is actually 35%. Oh, so yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I will note that very recently, like, this has always been a bit of a cult classic film. People who like it have liked it for a while. But after the Me Too movement of the past couple of years, um, this film has gotten sort of a critical reevaluation in a lot of circles. Mm -hmm. It's considered a modern feminist horror classic. Understandably so, because it deals, like, with a lot of themes that we've mentioned, a lot of really great coming-of-age girl horror that we all love and have talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a fun time i'm ready to talk about it let's dive in through the trees no i will find you <laughs> oh my god all right here we go summary time it's some some time it's okay some, i'm some sorry time. i i okay before we keep going let okay let me just quickly i want to just talk about the lyrics to through the trees oh my um, god <laughs> Because it's literally through the trees, I will find you. I will heal the ruins left inside you. Oh, God. Because I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing now. Until I'm set free, going quiet through the trees. So he's going to die too? I guess. (laughs) That's not a very good song. You're not coming back until I'm set free. This is why they had to kill someone to get famous, because they suck. Yeah, literally, this song would never chart. Yeah. Wasn't that song something that they wrote after? I would hope so. <laughs> no, that's what they were playing. Well, no, they played it. They, they played the it bar. at the bar. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's why That's why it became the unofficial anthem of the fire. Yeah. I was too distracted by Adam Brody to pay attention to what was and his neck tattoo. coming out of his voice. He did look mouth. very nice. He did look quite mm-hmm. the, the eyeliner and the neck tattoo. 
You can definitely tell he's from the city. I'm like fully dead. <laughs> okay, now it's some sometime. Okay, I'm so sorry. I just needed to. I needed to get that off my chest. That's all good. Our story begins with a uh, narrator. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. I love that. Thanks. I needed to definitively say that we were moving on. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Anita, Needy, that's what we're going to call her for the rest of the summary, is Needy, uh, is in a mental hospital. Don't be deceived by all the children's toys on the floor of her room. She's got a bit of a violent streak, evidenced by the powerful kick that knocks out a nurse's teeth after the woman insists that she needs to eat more food. Once in solitary confinement, Needy explains that she wasn't always crazy, but when the killing started, she started to feel a little loose around the edges. Flashback to Devil's Kettle, a small town named after its mysterious waterfall. Jennifer, Megan Fox, lays in her bed, looking a little bit rough, picking at a scab on her arm and chewing her hair and watching an advertisement for exercise equipment. And she's completely oblivious to a spooky Needy staring at her through the window. Honestly, truly an iconic opening shot. Like, 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 what a character introduction. I, okay, so this is, like, about the shot. Like, the technical elements of the shot. So usually, I don't know, like, all the terms for this. But I do know, like, usually if you have two things that you want to focus on, you do the rack focus. Like, Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that's usually what they do. But, like, this one, both of them are in focus, even though needy is farther away from like jennifer's in the foreground isn't that called Needy's, a split diopter i have no fucking idea if that's wow. what it is then cool but like i i don't like it <laughs> i think it looks weird like every and they did that type of shot like multiple times and each time i was like it just looks strange like they shouldn't both be in focus that's me who is not a filmmaker so I personally thought it was a little strange. I am correct. Beep, beep, beep. That was a good poll. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. How did you know that? I just did, man. I don't know. <laughs> I like attended film school. And <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I listen to a lot of movie podcasts, so that Uh-oh. might be it. I love the design of her bedroom. Yeah, I think it's really so good. Much. Yeah, the Fallout Boy poster. Yes, I love the Fallout poster. I love the way the posters are arranged behind the bed. I love the font they use for the title card. I love how she's just sitting there looking normal and like chewing her hair. Like, what a vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, what a vibe. And she's just like watching this like lame infomercial for exercise equipment too. Mm-hmm. That's also, I think, an interesting like character thing that she's just there doing that i think there is a really good like critique of feminist beauty standards that runs through the movie too like how jennifer feels the need to like go out of her way to make herself look more attractive when she is not fully well when she's not full (laughs) (laughs) we get that awesome shot later on of her putting makeup on putting on the Mm -hmm. foundation that's my favorite shot of the film one of my favorite subgenres in film are movies where women have to put on makeup while severely upset. <laughs> oh it just god. does something for me. It like Oh my god, I it's love the that. it's the female experience. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I love how that is so specific. And I a hundred percent agree with it. They fully exist. It's like this, that scene from Itanya. 
Oh my mm-hmm. god, you're right. I know. Yeah, there's more. Oh god. Yeah. We can do a mini-sode on this, maybe. <laughs> um, There's a scene in Euphoria where they do it. I've not seen Euphoria, but I have seen the scene online, and I was like, that counts. I think we need... <laughs> yeah, we need a super cut of this. Oh, uh, I just I googled um, women putting on makeup in movies while sad. <laughs> oh. oh, it's not as helpful as I wanted it to be. Anyway. Flashback again! Also... I'm going to be eating, so I'm going to be eating. I'm going to try not to make noises. Tell me. This is going to be a really low-key episode. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I just really, I really love this character introduction to Jennifer, especially because it's so different from the Jennifer we meet when we flash back again. So I think that's really exciting. I don't, as we already mentioned, I don't like this framing vehicle. I think that the needy that we get in the like the surrounding story, like the framing device is not necessarily the needy that we have at the end of the primary narrative of the film. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't really understand how we got to there. Well, (laughs) yeah, I was going to ask what you think about opening up with the psychiatric facility in general. Like I understand why she's in the psych ward, but I, Oh, definitely. Yeah. She's just like, so, like, she is angry at the end of the movie, obviously, but, like, she's, like, so angry. And it's, yeah. like... It's, like, zero to 60. Like, is yeah. this really... Is this really where you were at the end of the movie? Like, because, like, the end of the narrative between her and Jennifer is, like, sad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And where she's, like... Like, at the beginning, she's, like, I'm kind of the shit. And I'm, like, that seems off. I Like, I understand... I'm all about little meek girls becoming badasses. Like, I love yeah. that narrative arc. But, like, I just think that we are pushing it to an extent that is not necessarily shown by the film. Yeah. There, there's a disconnect somewhere there. The The characterization doesn't... It starts off in a way that... It, like, it doesn't progress in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like she's a... Yeah, she's a different... I mean, she's kind of a different yeah. person, but... Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't hit. It doesn't feel very earned. I would rather just not have this framing device, and I think that the movie would be better for it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue the sum. Flashback again to a high school pep rally. Jennifer is a popular cheerleader. When she finishes her routine, Needy waves at her from the stands, and the girl behind her accuses her of being lesbian. What? Yeah. In the hallway, <laughs> Jennifer invites Needy to a low shoulder concert at a local dive bar. At first, Needy pushes back, saying that she promised her boyfriend, Chip, that they should hang out, but eventually gives in. It was cool to see the transformation of what the slang term salty means. Because yes. she says he's extra salty. And I'm like, oh, is he like kind of... Um, I did that too. Like, what's he mad about? Yeah, is he <laughs> yeah. kind of like frustrated or like angry or like pissed off? Like, no, he he's extra cute. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> not what I thought salty meant. <laughs> oh, that's not what I thought salty meant. Did it used to mean that? I don't know. I have no idea. This might be something they made up for the movie. It probably was. I do love the crossing people out when we're done with them. (laughs) (laughs) That I I think we should bring back. (laughs) (laughs) I think that these first few scenes with GD, it's the ship name, Um, Jennifer (laughs) and Needy, are really interesting in the sense that I think that the biggest thing that this movie does 
It gives us a really, really interesting and really, really fraught interrogation of both female friendships Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be closeted and be in a really close, weird female friendship. I know plenty of women and non-binary people who used to identify as women in my life who have had really intense and like really confusing friendships with people that they were like really close to for a long time when they were younger. And then like five, 10 years later, they're looking back on that friendship and being like, holy shit. Um, (laughs) Now that I understand my sexuality more, like I'm looking back on this and realizing what was actually like what my actual feelings were and how I didn't know how to express them and how that came out in like really strange ways Mm -hmm. in my relationship with this person. And I think that this movie articulates that feeling in a way that is uncanny, honestly. Like, I think watching this movie as somebody who's had that kind of experience or is even like remotely familiar with that kind of experience is a completely different viewing experience than watching Mm -hmm. it as somebody who has not had that. Mm -hmm. Because if you take out that like queer element of it, this movie is not the same movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It really isn't. And I think that that is something that I wish that they had like explored more. Mm -hmm. But also it was 2009. So I guess I understand like why they didn't push the envelope and explore that more. But like it is something that I wish that they would have done. I agree. That's also a reason why I wish the framing device wasn't there because I feel like we end the movie on a different note than like we really should have. Because at the end of the day, what happens between Needy and Jennifer is a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like full stop. And like, I think that the scene where Needy kills Jennifer and then her mom walks in and sees Jennifer. First of all, completely forgot that her mom came in. So like Mm -hmm. (laughs) when that happened, I was like, holy shit. Like, Like, oh, we got really real right here in these last few moments. And I think that if we had kept it there instead of flashing forward, like, I don't mind her killing the band over the ending credits. I think that's fun. But I think that it would have been a more honest exploration of, like, what all that feels like if we had ended it when Jennifer died. Yeah, and I think that if the movie were to be remade today... I think that's one of the things they probably would have done differently is, you know, focus more on the nuance of that relationship because it all feels very surface level. I mean, we get the mm-hmm. makeout scene between them, but that like ends very abruptly and they don't even talk about it ever again. Well, I don't think, I don't think that they need to. I don't yeah, think they I need agree. to have like a discussion about the feelings. It doesn't seem to alter their behavior. Like they don't seem to, well, they, they're, there's like a silence. There's an awkwardness between them. So I guess you could read that as because of what happened. But the film frames it as because Needy now wants to kill Jennifer, basically. Mm-hmm. So to me, it doesn't follow through on that scene enough for me to feel like that relationship between them has progressed or developed in some other way. It almost went like the exact opposite way that I would want it to go. And that she completely distanced herself from Jennifer. But I guess if you view it through, like, what you were just talking about, the confused feelings that that person might have, then maybe that's kind of, like, her way to not acknowledge her sexuality in that way. I don't know. Does any of that make sense? I'm, I'm sitting here just nodding at my microphone. And I was like, okay, she got there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess just as a viewer, I wanted to see more of it. But maybe it's, yeah. happening. it's just happening internally for needy. Yeah. Like, we'll talk about them more when we get a little bit to the end, but I think that 
I think that you could totally read the movie straight up as it is through that lens pretty easily. I just think that we don't get enough of Needy and Jennifer alone, like interacting by themselves. We get too much of the separation. And I think that the film does try really hard to insert that subtext. Honestly, it's, it's fully text if you are like looking at it plainly but mm-hmm. i guess for people who don't aren't seeing it as clearly like it's it's more so subtext in the actual like narrative of it and i just feel like a lot of that is taken out at the end when we just kind of pivot from her and jennifer to needy at the psych ward like that's yeah. not the story that i care about like i care about what's going on between her and jennifer or even like when they pivot back to her and chip i'm like yeah it's like i don't really care as much anymore i don't I don't want to see that anymore. <laughs> I we'll, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it when we get to okay. it. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, yeah, I felt like it, it went in a direction that I didn't want to see. Kind of. Well, I, yeah, I have, I have stuff to say about the needy and chip stuff too, though, but I don't want to get to it yet. So we'll just yeah. keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Chip. Needy's boyfriend. And Jennifer <laughs> don't really get along. There's no, a weird. Not jealous tension between them when Jennifer arrives to pick up Needy for the concert. Nevertheless, the ladies arrive at the dive bar and a few guys hit on Jennifer before she gets wholly distracted by Nikolai, the lead singer of Low Shoulder, out of Brody. I want to say really quick that I do think it's really funny before they leave where Chib looks at them and goes, I can see your womb. <laughs> yeah, it was so fucking weird. I was like, dude, what? words. He's like, yeah, but I can like see your womb. <laughs> But important things to note, I think at least, as Heidi mentioned, there's a lot of weird tension between Chip Mm -hmm. and Jennifer. Yes. B, Jennifer walks in and when she sees Chip, the first thing she does is ask if they've been fucking. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that Jennifer consistently always sexualizes Needy's relationship with Chip. Like, she's like really obsessed with Needy's sexual activity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Which is such a normal thing. Totally, totally, totally normal. normal and heterosexual of her. Um, <laughs> but then when they get to the bar and you see like Jennifer interacting with like the guys at the bar and like the way that she's like obsessed with Adam Brody and Needy's just kind of like there along for the ride. I think mm-hmm. that these first couple of scenes do a really good job of showcasing the kind of relationship that this is where like Jennifer is like the main character basically and Needy is her sidekick. And mm-hmm. Needy is perfectly content to be Jennifer's sidekick because she gets to like bask in the glow of being a friend of Jennifer's. Mm-hmm. And Needy very obviously idolizes Jennifer. You get that in the very, very first scene where she is like slow mo waving at Jennifer <laughs> from across the gym. Like mm-hmm. she sure. very, very much so obviously puts Jennifer up on a pedestal, like idolizes her, wants her approval, wants her friendship. Yeah. And we get the backstory that they've been friends since they were kids i think mm-hmm. they say something like sandbox friendships never die or something like that mm-hmm. yeah and her and jennifer's relationship is incredibly toxic and oh yeah not healthy but um i think that they do a really good job of showcasing that right away and not necessarily in a way that overly demonizes either of the girls for it because i think we've all kind of been in this kind of relationship before or maybe i'm just like really projecting on this movie but um <laughs> like where you're really good friends with somebody who doesn't treat you well, but you don't really realize it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that combined with all of the sexuality stuff is what makes the two of them so compelling, even this early on in the film. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Adam Brody's there and Chris Pratt is there too. And Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Wish he wasn't, but yeah. Yeah, he's a weird, malformed Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. He's not done cooking yet. He's, he's also a cop. <laughs> he's also, he's a, also cop. a cop. <laughs> That's like a fucking course he is, right? Like, of course. <laughs> oh my god. When Jennifer steps away to get Nikolai, a 9-11 tribute shooter, which is so really funny. something else. When she comes back and she's like, they made my second tower too short. <laughs> uh, Needy overhears the band talking very ominously about why they came out here and how Jennifer must be a virgin. Making a face about that one. Mm-hmm. When the band performs, a fire mysteriously starts that quickly spreads to the rafters and gets out of control pretty crazy fast, leaving the scene in utter chaos. Needy drags a drunk, question mark, Jennifer to safety, and they squeeze through the nasty bathroom window to safety. Number one, just to go back, I, I put I put a note in when I was talking about the Jennifer Needy stuff early on where she says to Chip, girls like her don't take drummers. And that just goes to what I said about like her idolizing, whatever. Um, <laughs> secondly, I think it's really funny when Adam Brody's on stage and she's like talking to him and she's like, I can't believe you're here at Devil's Kettle. And he's like, yeah, we play in the shitty areas too. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he says the name of the town wrong and some guy goes Devil's Kettle and he's like, fucking A right it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And then uh, I also wrote Through the Trees is a Terrible Song, blah, blah, blah. I think that we get to see a lot of that weird, like, Jennifer affectation and, like, creating her own language thing that she does mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of at play in this scene. Because she doesn't talk like anybody else in the movie. She talks like, it's just her <laughs> saying all the weird shit. Like, it's just her. Yeah. And I think that, I think that the way that they characterize Jennifer as somebody who just does whatever the fuck she wants is really interesting. Because she genuinely just walks into every room like she owns the place mm-hmm. but then when you see her interacting with like adam brody's character for instance mm-hmm. there's this part of me that was just like oh yeah she's a teenager like she's like mm-hmm. literally just a kid talking to this mm-hmm. guy wanting to impress this guy and i think that that scene does a really good job of treading the you know i'm a bad bitch i'm gonna do whatever i want kind of vibe with her yeah. being more vulnerable and actually showing the danger that she's in yeah, it definitely shows her instant switch in attitude and demeanor. And one of the things I wanted to point out is, I think it goes back to what you were saying about how this movie does speak to women's beauty standards, because, I mean, it's it's called Jennifer's Body. So she is very confident and she does whatever she wants, I think, because mm-hmm. she knows she's fucking hot and everyone thinks she's hot. And her appearance probably is largely what gives her the confidence. And mm-hmm. I say that because there's that one scene where um, I think they're about to go talk to the band. She's like, they need some groupies. And Needy's like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to go talk to them. And she says, they're just boys. And mm-hmm. then she says, we have all the power. Don't you know that? And she's mm-hmm. telling her to, like, use her boobs to... <laughs> she calls her yeah. boobs, like, smart bombs or something. Yeah. She says something like, point them in the direction you want to go and shit gets real. And then as <laughs> soon as she says that, she starts talking to Nikolai and, like, loses that whole affect Mm -hmm. which is interesting but yeah i think going back to megan fox that she was chosen probably for this film because she is hot and you know they play off of that with the title and with the character i do like really want to point out something too kind of that goes in hand with what you said and it's this is one of the reasons why i think megan fox is actually very good in this movie she speaks differently to different characters 
you see mm-hmm. it more obviously later on when she's like 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 a demon <laughs> um, but like when she's talking to needy unless she's like trying to get her to do something her voice is a lot flatter she's a lot more like to the point she just kind of says what she's thinking in the moment she's a lot more real when she's talking to needy and then like she's condescending when she's talking to chip but then when she's talking to adam brody and when she's talking to chris pratt and when she's talking to the other guys throughout the film she like plays dumb yeah like i think the first couple times i watched that i didn't really notice it as much but like watching it this time i was like she's literally changing who she is depending on Mm -hmm. who she's speaking to and i think that the way that megan fox does that in this film is both very realistic to the character and also really nuanced like you don't really notice it right away but she genuinely is like the way that she talks to and interacts with men is completely different than the way that she does with women or with needy and you can tell that it's like especially later on when you know that she's like the predator in the scene it's because she thinks so little of them like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think that's really interesting yeah i think she she does think that she has the power and uses it she has control. And then there's like that part where the song is playing. I keep forgetting that you're already to the point where the fire is happening. Um, <laughs> there's the part where the song starts playing and Jennifer looks over at Needy really excitedly and reaches down and grabs her hand. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. Needy grins, turns to look at her, sees that she's staring at Adam Brody and then gets uncomfortable and drops her hand. Mm-hmm. Need I say more? Right. <laughs> One thing I was going to ask. Is Jennifer, like, hypnotized? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. What's with the blank stare? And, like, she seems so out of it. You mean after the fire? Is it truly just shock? I think it's shock. I mean, th- that was a traumatic event they witnessed. I know, like, I know. <laughs> what, they saw a lot of people die. They <laughs> survive fires every day? Well, I don't know. I guess it was just because of the way that they, the camera showed her and Nikolai locking eyes. And, like, I don't know. It, it was almost like he was putting her in a trance or something. I understand he's an agent of Satan. He is not Satan, but still. Well, he they have no satanic powers yet. None. And then I think it's also important to note, though, that like he is a quote-unquote famous singer, and she's a girl from Devil's Kettle who is entranced by his celebrity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, what we're witnessing right now is the, the lead-up to a rape scene, and this is the part where he is getting her to like be interested in him enough to follow him off alone. Yeah. Yeah. Outside needy checks on Jennifer and Nikolai walks up and suggests for safety that they all get to his van and attempts to ply Jennifer with more alcohol. I hate that the scene is funny. It's just because Adam Brody is the one saying all the words. Needy doesn't join them and is essentially told by Jennifer to back off and leave her alone as she gets into the van. He literally goes, you, you want to head someplace safer like my van? Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. And then when she's telling Chip about it, he's like, what kind of car was it? And she's like, I don't know, like an 89 rapist or something. Yeah. Like she's that. like, I don't know an 89 rapist. That's such a good scene. That's such a good line. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and she's, like, so stunned. She's just, like, watching poor Jennifer get taken into this van. And then, mm-hmm. like, Adam Brody looks at her before she shuts the van door. And I was like, this is fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Needy's left with a horrible pit in her stomach as they drive off. And when she arrives home, Needy reaches out to Chip to try to convince him to help find Jennifer when she suddenly hears the doorbell ring and goes to investigate. Spooky. Yeah, very spooky. No one's there. 
but she still starts to hear sounds coming from inside the house now, and as she investigates the kitchen, she turns around and Jennifer is standing in front of her, covered in blood. Love this it. This is truly creepy. <laughs> love it. Love, love the smile. It. There's so much about this that I love. A, I love that we're not actually seeing the ritual until later on when Jennifer's the one telling the story about it. Mm-hmm. B, I love that what we do see is just like the aftermath of this traumatic event that happened to her. So she's like covered in blood and she's like whatever the fuck that black goo is. And, <laughs> and we don't know whose blood. Yeah, we don't know whose blood. And she's just like puking everywhere. <laughs> like, and like that weird, too large smile. It's, it is all very, very good. I was getting a lot of objection vibes. I was getting a lot of monstrous woman vibes. One of my favorite parts is when she like takes the chicken out of the fridge and is trying to eat it. And I don't even remember what Needy says, but she tries to like interrupt or see what, what Jen's doing. And she just looks at her and like lets out this, I don't even know how to describe it, a roar or like a howl or just right? something fucking creepy. And I was like, oh my god, that was legitimately scary. I did not remember that from the previous viewings. And then the part where she gets, like, really up close to her and is, like, sniffing her neck. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's creepy. I feel like in these situations, I'm always like, because the character's like, Jennifer, like, are you okay? Clearly she is not okay. But I know. also, what do you do about that? I don't know. If I were in that yeah. situation, I'd be like... I'd probably be saying the same thing, but, like, being ready to, like, run (laughs) immediately. Well, I mean, you also have to think about, like, that's her best friend. So she's like, what is going on? Like, you know, like, if your best friend showed up at your house and was, like, dirty and covered in blood, and the last thing you saw was her getting into a van with a group of strange Mm men. Well, as soon as she let out that whatever it was. was weird. That That was was weird. Yeah, I would have been like, are you possessed? Yeah, I... I love also that, like, I think that the movie's best, like, shorthand for showing, like, the toxic imbalance in the Jennifer Needy relationship is the quick cut they show of Needy on the floor sobbing, cleaning up all that goo that Jennifer puked onto her kitchen floor. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I was like, that is, that is literally a one-shot metaphor for an abusive (laughs) relationship right there. Like, (laughs) Mm mm-hmm. My next note, the next note that I wrote down is going to help us move forward to the summary, but it's in all caps and it just says J.K. Simmons is camp. (laughs) (laughs) His hair. (laughs) Love it. The next day, while the rest of the school is distraught about the tragic fire, Jennifer shows up completely nonplussed by the whole thing. Needy, clearly suffering from some survivor's guilt, starts to question if she's crazy but her nail beds are stained black from cleaning the sludgy icker vomit off of the floor. (laughs) Later that afternoon, the captain of the football team is crying on the field because he misses his best friend, and then Jennifer shows up and convinces him to go into the woods with her. As they're making out, a bunch of animals gather around, but Jennifer explains that they're waiting to watch, and she starts (laughs) to give Jonas a hand job and unzips her hoodie and then is like don't worry you'll see your friend soon and attacks him with this creepy unhinged toothy maw i love this setup (laughs) in general of course you do she literally she thinks this guy is a complete idiot you can like totally tell Mm -hmm. the part where she's like feel my heart jonas Mm -hmm. i think it's broken (laughs) and then like when she 
turns around and like wants him to shut his eyes and she just goes shut ease (laughs) she is like so funny (laughs) she is like genuinely so funny and then the intense eye contact during the hand job (laughs) i honestly could not understand what she was saying she says shutties it's shutties i I had subs on I was like, oh, she is so fucking weird. I can't even. Like, I I literally was, like, losing my mind when she was just, like, staring at him with such fucking dead eyes while she was giving him that handjob. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is so uncomfortable. And then all the animals were there. And I was like, I don't like it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I will say that, like, once she does become possessed and, like, becomes the predator is when the film really starts to kind of lose me because you have a hard time being like, well, I know that you're a bad person and you're kind of becoming like a sexual predator here in a way. Like, I don't want to root for you. But then obviously the film is like framing her to be main character and you want to root for her and needy. So I, I just like, it becomes like weird tension for me. Yeah, I kind of... I understand that and I was thinking about this film in the context of like when we started seeing a bunch of films that are like strong female protagonists you know kind of revenge Mm -hmm. thrillers and whether that I think we had a class once we were talking about whether it's feminist or actually post-feminist but that's a theoretical discussion but I don't think this film is necessarily like a yay rah go girls and you go kill those boys and you know Mm -hmm bathe in their blood so i think some people view it as that as like a very heroic Mm -hmm. you go girl type of thing and i actually don't think it's supposed to well maybe i don't know what it's supposed to be but i actually don't read it as that i think it's like i think natalie alluded to earlier it's kind of tragic and i don't think you're necessarily supposed to root for jennifer but i think it comes off as wanting you to root for her i don't know it definitely comes off as like you're supposed to want to root for Jennifer and I think like what Natalie said earlier about it being intentionally subversive Mm -hmm. it's part of why I think that you recognize her as a villain but then the film devotes like so much energy into humanizing her still like if you think about like Halloween or Friday the 13th like masked killers who are just going around killing people because that's what (laughs) killers do if Jennifer is supposed to fill a role like that, like in the meta narrative of the film and the script. If you're just going to start putting women in places like that, then the film is trying very hard to like make you relate to her in a way that there's no other way that you can interpret other than like trying to make you like her or root for her. Do you know what I'm saying? I agree. I definitely don't think there's any getting around the fact that Jennifer is one of the villains of this narrative. Yeah. Not the ultimate villain, because that is pretty obviously the band. It's very obviously the band. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that it's definitely fun to watch a movie like this and be like, oh yeah, good for her. You know what I mean? Like there's that, there's that like modern film trope of like the quote unquote good for her horror where Mm -hmm. it's like movies like this and like Midsummer, where like, women go through something terrible and then like do terrible things and you're like Mm -hmm. i mean that's chill but like at the end of the day we're not supposed to be happy when danny kills her boyfriend we're not supposed to be happy when jennifer is like murdering these boys but i think the film is being very deliberate in the way that they show the film shows jennifer killing these people Mm -hmm. 
mostly because a like the way that she's doing it is incredibly sexualized and it's mm-hmm. taking advantage of the fact that these people want to use her sexually yeah and then two most of the murder well not most of the murders but like uh, at least two of the boys that she goes after are boys that have like an emotional connection to needy yeah and, mm-hmm. and like intentionally isolating her yeah like she literally she sees that needy she literally hears needy say i like colin and then goes to mm-hmm. ask out colin yeah like <laughs> like it doesn't get more straight than that and then like her going after chip at the end the only reason she's going after chip is because needy likes chip that's like mm-hmm. literally the entirety yeah that is the full reason right and it kind of goes back to like what i said at the beginning where she's like constantly talking about needy's like sexual life mm-hmm. and it's because you know it's a very very rough metaphor for a girl who doesn't know how to understand her own feelings mm-hmm. and how that weird tumultuous space is causing her to lash out in this case literally (laughs) to the people around her and it ends up driving a wedge between her and her best friend well i think it's also fair to say that maybe needy is her only friend oh yeah i Mm -hmm. I get that vibe too (laughs) Mm -hmm. well she's untouchable for everyone else but you know she probably inadvertently pushes them away it's implied that she's denying dates and Mm -hmm kind of thinking she's above everyone else because she's so beautiful like her thing her thing is that she's a bitch like (laughs) yeah and like to kind of add to what i was saying earlier like yeah i i think the the surface level reading of it could be and what i've heard other people say is like oh yeah badass bitch like she's killing these boys and that's like kind of like teeth although teeth is very different but in the same sense that we have a female protagonist who is Mm -hmm. getting revenge for something terrible to happen to her i think that you could do an analysis of this in teeth and find some good parallels yeah i think so but i think that i think that's an easy read of this and like i said is not i think there's actually even though it might not appear to be have a deeper level of meaning i think it does and i think that's what we're kind of getting at here but as far as jennifer being a villain like i was thinking about the movie's called jennifer's body what is her body what does it kind of symbolize or what how is it used in the movie And I wrote down, it's a host for the demon. It's a sacrifice for the band. And ultimately, I think she's cursed. Like, her body is cursed. And I think that we're encouraged to, yes, kind of view her as a villain up until the point where you see her putting makeup on and and crying. Like, that. Mm -hmm. I think that, Mm -hmm. that is such an important scene. Because then, to me, it changes how I viewed her. Because you can tell, up until that moment, you couldn't really see how she felt about what was going on. She just knew that she had to adapt by killing people and that made her feel Mm -hmm. powerful. But then we see she's actually suffering because of it. Well, and you could also probably make the argument that she's getting her newfound confidence, both like within her body and then like within her Mm -hmm. self as like a sexual being Mm -hmm. through these interactions with men. So literally she kills the football guy. What's his face? Jonas. In the woods. Yeah, Jonas. And then we cut to that scene, that very iconic scene Mm -hmm. of her swimming naked in the lake. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we go from her in this sexual situation where she had all the power to her immediately feeling incredibly confident, incredibly in control, comfortable in her own body. And I think that that's important because if we're talking about what is Jennifer's relationship with her body, Mm -hmm. she's only feeling confident and like herself when she comes out of these situations with men granted she's murdering them but 
if we're looking at it metaphorically. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, like for me, as I've already said, this movie is not about a girl killing boys. Mm -hmm. This movie is about the relationship between these two characters. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think the movie wants to be about the relationship between Needy and Jennifer, but it also really wants to be about Jennifer killing boys. I think it overall manages to do a good job of both. I think that it loses track of that a little bit near the end, just because of the goddamn framing device mostly, but... Mm -hmm. I think it does lose track of it a little bit at the end, but I think overall it, I think it does a good job of doing both. Whenever I watch this, I always think of it as, like I said, more of like a tragedy and more yeah. of it just being about this two, these two girls' relationship and how they weren't able to overcome like their differences, basically. Yeah, how the wedge is driven further and further between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jennifer is completely unfazed by everything that's been going down. She skinny dips in the lake, as Natalie mentioned, and eventually calls up Needy to tell her that she's having the best day of her life. We get my favorite, other favorite line, which is when Jennifer's like, I am a god. And then Needy just goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, Needy answers Chip's incoming call. While Jennifer waits for her to come back, she burns the tip of her tongue with a lighter and it immediately heals up again, leading to the line that Natalie just said. Chip's call sends Needy urgently rushing to meet him where he informs her that Jonas was found dead. The days carry on and in a sea of mourning black townsfolk, Jennifer is vibrant pink. Even though people eventually start to move on from the tragedy, Needy informs us that things were just beginning. A month goes by and Jennifer starts to look more pallid and frail. The science teacher, J.K. Simmons, who has the hook hand, as we mentioned, informs the class that Low Shoulder, who are experiencing some newfound national fame after the fire and their crappy song inspired by the events, will be generously donating 3% of the profits to anyone who lost someone in that tragedy. There's like some part in this scene, I don't remember exactly what happens because it's been like a week since I watched this movie. But there's this part where they're talking about the song and somebody's mentioning, like, I think Needy says that she doesn't like the song or whatever. And Jennifer just goes, yeah, it's really poorly produced. <laughs> and I was like, that is really good. It's lines like that that I think are just like, yes, like, that's working. <laughs> that and, like, the line about PMS. Yes. <laughs> she's uncharacteristically, like, lucid and intelligent. Not to say that she's dumb, but she she plays. It's because she's talking to Needy. She plays dumb. Yeah, she plays dumb. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. No, all of those are... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really poorly produced. It's so funny. Also, when Needy and Chip are talking and Needy hands Chip her jacket to put on, mm -hmm. I was like, they're... There's gender. Some gender. Gender. Like, <laughs> gender alarm. I was like, something is happening there. I was like, my gay alarm is going off. I was like, something is happening here. <laughs> Colin, one of the emo kids who seemingly was into Needy before randomly tries to ask Jennifer out. She shuts him down at first until Needy says that she thinks he's cool and nice and Jennifer suddenly decides to invite him over. That part in the... Oh God, I wish I had the scene in front of me right now. Because all I wrote down in all caps in my notes is, is he gonna fuck his mom? <laughs> Wait, what? What? They're talking about, they're talking about like a book. And, oh, Hamlet. Oh my God. Yeah, they're talking about Hamlet because like I think they have English class together. Yeah. And then she just, like, out of nowhere goes, is he gonna fuck his mom? <laughs> she says, like, she, says she has to borrow his homework because she didn't do the reading. 
yes yes i was like that is so fucking funny just so funny and then when they walk away and then she just goes my dick is bigger than his Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then she goes back to him and talks like an idiot full jennifer aquamarine they're gonna watch aquamarine yeah it's like a girl has sex with sushi or something yes (sighs) that night while needy and chip are getting it on Colin arrives at this creepy, abandoned suburban street where Jennifer said she'd be waiting for him. Undeterred by the boarded-up door, windows, and plastic sheeting on the unfinished house, Colin still finds his way inside. Who knows why? Jennifer is... He's, like, he's like visibly, like, um, am I, am I sure that this is the place? Let me turn down my Panic of the Disco so I can make sure that this is. <laughs> One of my other favorite scenes in the film where he's just driving... And he's singing, I can see clearly now the rain is yeah. down. He's just fucking jamming out because he's I so love it. excited. He's like hyping himself up to see her. And that's very yeah. relatable. Just like trying to hype yourself oh up for a date. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Colin. I know. I know. He was so excited. <laughs> it's a poor Colin. Yeah. Jennifer is immediately level 10 creepy and tries to come on to him. As they make out, her eyes change and Colin notices and starts to back away, but accidentally cuts himself and Jennifer attacks him. Needy starts hallucinating while she and Chip are boning, seeing blood drip from the ceiling, the mutilated corpse of the football guy, and a creepy Jennifer crouched watching them. She starts to utter hopeless over and over and freaks out. Question. This scene... What does this mean? This is cinema. Do you think right that here. Like, needy? I don't know how to interpret this, but do you think that needy and Jennifer are like psychically connected somehow, or like what do you take that to mean? I think that's what the film is trying to imply. Yeah. Okay. I cool. definitely think that there is like some. There has to be some sort of connection there. I think that's also why her powers are like different at the end mm-hmm. a little bit too. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, this scene is very well constructed and edited and put together and i think that is honestly hilarious because i think that the cuts of her freaking out and then chip Mm -hmm. thinking that she's having a good time (laughs) yeah and the way that it builds we get like that faux orgasm thing like as she finishes killing colin Mm -hmm. i was like this is this is charged Mm -hmm. like they put this together like there are things happening here yeah and i think that it does a really good job of showing just how big of a hold jennifer has over needy's Mm -hmm. entire like attentions yeah and i think i also noted how they intercut the sex scenes like the way that they're juxtaposed they have a very it's kind of like painting intimacy and sex as violent versus Mm non-violent like how it can be violent and how it can be non-violent so you have chip and needy having a very i think it's their first time that's the vibe I got. I don't know. That was yeah. actually unclear to me. I think it is. I got the vibes that it was. And he seems like really surprised when she offers. I thought he had said, like, I got more condoms. Like, oh, we can have sex again. Like, I remember him yeah, making Yeah, I wasn't comment. sure about that either. So oh. either either a first time or, like, they're definitely inexperienced. It's like second time. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a very, it's, it starts out very sweet, very tender. And you can tell that it's a special moment between them. And then you intercut that with Jen just devouring Colin very mm-hmm. animalistically and... I think she even says, I, I need you to be terrified or something like that. Like you need, I need you to be mm-hmm. afraid. So 
like we talked about before, the connection between sex and power and violence, you know, all wrapped up into one. She's definitely using sex and her sexuality as a way to gain power over someone and control and in a very violent way versus Chip and Needy having a very nonviolent uh, interaction where it's very intimate in that way. Mm-hmm. I did think that the hallucinations reminded me a lot of Slumber Party Massacre too, in a way. That is astute. Throwback. That is that's valid. Yeah. I just like got those vibes, especially like how that also is like a queer coded film in a lot of ways. For sure. Mm-hmm. Needy hallucinating Jennifer while she's boning Chip just felt uh, mm-hmm. that's a good very point. like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though she's being yeah. creepy. It's like, girl, that's gay. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like that's real gay of you. Poor Chip. He's just sitting here like thinking he's doing such a great job i know oh my god that's so funny that that is really that's a really funny scene but also like a lot it's also like but also like but... good for him for making sure she was okay he's like do you want me to yeah. stop mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know she's having like a full panic attack and he's like <laughs> that, that shot of him like smiling like oh my god <laughs> maybe i'm good at this it's, it, yeah that's it, that's a good scene <laughs> Cinema. Cinema. Needy leaves Chip's place in a bad headspace, of course, and continues mm-hmm. to spiral when she sees Jennifer walking on all fours onto the road. Needy swerves to avoid her, and when she looks back, Jennifer is nowhere to be found until, in true spooky fashion, she <laughs> leaps out onto the front window of the car, causing it to break. Needy speeds off and finally makes it home where she breaks down crying. Relatable. Oh, right. After napping on the couch, Needy makes her way to her bed where Jennifer is surprisingly already there waiting for her. I need to just quickly note that Needy being like, is that my evil dead shirt is like the gayest thing <laughs> I've ever heard another person say. <laughs> like I was like, this this line alone cements this film in the like Hall of Fame of queer cinema. Like <laughs> Oh my god. <sighs> Needy understandably freaks out upon seeing Jennifer, and Jennifer yells at her to stop screaming, and then starts making out with her for, like, a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's long. It's a long scene. Well, she starts, and then you can tell that Needy's like, mm, what the hell's going on? I don't know. And then she just obviously wants to, so then she yeah. goes for it. Yeah. It's quite, the, it's quite the scene. It is, like, probably one of the best like sequences of the film or like the scenes of the film especially because of all of the build-up between needy and jennifer up to that mm-hmm. point like you know this mm-hmm. is about to happen not just because it was in the trailer but like you can tell that this has been brewing but like it's it feels like an like an incredibly emotional moment like obviously the studio wants to market it because it's like oh look at these hot girls kissing mm-hmm. but like that moment is so much more than that and i think like of all the scenes in the film like this one is handled one of the best like it's it's mm-hmm. very well done i completely agree with that and then i like afterwards too that like they they kiss but then Jennifer's like, okay, well, I'm here to be honest with you. Yeah. Because I haven't been fully honest with you. And I think that it's nice that we do get, like, this moment of emotional vulnerability between the two of them. Mm-hmm. 
it's also good to note that now that Jennifer has eaten Colin, she's all dewy and glowy again. <laughs> yeah, she looks excellent. She looks great. <laughs> but like Natalie said, she is like, about to explain what happens. Flashback. This movie loves a flashback. This is like what our our fourth flashback. Well, I mean, technically, most of it is a whole flashback. But yeah, this is like our third proper flashback. Well. Hold on, let me let me think. Hold, on, give me one moment. So we have flashback one is when they flash back the first time, and then two when they flash back to the cheerleading scene. Yeah, and then we flash back now. Now, so this will be the the, the third dream level of Inception. Ugh. But we also had a flashback to Needy cleaning up the goo in the kitchen. So technically, this is our fourth flashback overall. Nevertheless. Regardless, it is a lot of flashbacks. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, The Night of the Fire. While in the back of the van, Jennifer notices there are several occult books, and Nikolai seems to be driving them out into the middle of nowhere. Jennifer mistakenly tries to reassure them that she's a virgin, not knowing that that's exactly what they're looking for. When they get to the waterfall, low shoulder, collectively, but mostly Adam Brody, explains that they've come out here to Devil's Kettle as a last-ditch effort to make a deal with Satan to make it as an indie band. And just before they sacrifice her, they all start singing that Jenny song and then stab her. Honestly, a good scene. Adam Brody, truly an MVP of this film. <laughs> really kills it. Ha. I do I do like, I do think, just like as a side note, that the basic premise of band tries to sacrifice girl to get famous girl is not actually a virgin Mm -hmm. is like funny like ridiculous like i love that that's the basic premise of this movie and i think it's a good one like yeah (laughs) i also do like like i said earlier that we're getting the story from jennifer's perspective yeah yeah because this is like our fill-in like i said earlier for like her like quote-unquote rape scene yeah so like the fact that we're not getting it in a super super exploitative way and it's more like her telling the story so she can tell needy what happened to her is good Mm -hmm. i think it's also narratively clever to wait until this moment to explain it because you have like a lot of good tension like what happened did jennifer kill Mm -hmm. those people and then, like, obviously, yeah. you have the idea that something bad happened, but you're not sure what it is. And it, this is a, this is another of those like really well handled scenes in the film. I agree. Okay. Jennifer explains to Needy that she doesn't think the ritual actually killed her, but Needy's unconvinced. Jennifer only remembers that she was incredibly hungry and desperate to find Needy. On her way to interesting, f- yeah. <laughs> On her way to find Needy, Jennifer runs into Ahmet, one of the kids who allegedly died in the fire, and after learning- Honestly, rip Ahmet! I know! (laughs) I know. After learning that no one knows he's alive, she lures him into the woods and presumably kills him. Interestingly enough, though, like, obviously this is a crime of opportunity, but interestingly enough, though, um, Needy's the one who points him out in the bar when they first get in there, Mm -hmm. too. So Mm -hmm. this is another- connection this is another man that needy has a connection to that jennifer kills i don't think i recognized that actually mm-hmm. that she no. pointed him out in the bar that needy pointed him out and was mm-hmm. like oh he's yeah cool. it was needy oh. anyway 
Jennifer also explains to Needy that after she's eaten someone, she's got superpowers like healing abilities. When Needy says that Jennifer is not okay and she saw her on the road, Jennifer tries to gaslight her into believing the scary things she saw weren't really there. The town seems to move very quickly on from Colin's death and Needy spends her days searching the library for research on what could be going on with Jennifer. She concludes that Jennifer must be a demon and apparently the only way to end her reign of terror is to stab her in the heart. Thematic. Thematic. Yeah, she's just casually browsing the occult section of the library, reading about what a succubus is. Probably making mm-hmm. copies. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but like, there's an entire scene in Carrie where she goes to the library and looks at a bunch of shit on telekinesis. Oh yeah, like, no, I'm I'm laughing well, yeah. because it's a you know it's like girls be out here doing research. <laughs> like, <laughs> I inst- you know what I instantly thought of? Googling vampire. Twilight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're out here googling vampires. (laughs) Nee turns to Chip for help and tries to convince him that he shouldn't go to the dance because it will be an all-you-can-eat buffet for Jennifer. In true significant other in a paranormal movie fashion, Chip does not (laughs) believe Needy and plans to go to the dance anyway. I do like the line where he says, I believe you, I just don't believe this. So, you know, he's kind of walking the line there, but he at least isn't like outright... Like, you're fucking crazy, you need help. I think at one point he does mm-hmm. say you might want to talk to someone, but, I mean, he's not, like, an asshole about it. He's at least yeah. being like, okay, well, this this is an unbelievable situation. It's not yeah. you. He's being very nice guy, though. And not to, not to call back to Slumber Party Massacre 2 again, but here we go. Uh, like, true. he's giving off vibes like that guy who tried to sleep with her right after she had that traumatizing experience i definitely i think that chip is not the worst boyfriend that we've encountered this far on the podcast but i don't think that i would rank him in the top tier boyfriends i think that he he's firmly in the i am like i don't believe you but i'm gonna try to be nice to you camp which is which is fine i think that he's better than a lot of the other ones that's, so yeah, in terms of that's what i'm saying is like in terms of horror movie boyfriends i would i would rank him pretty middle of the road so i'm kind of with you laura i find him boring <laughs> well he is boring that is true yeah <laughs> he definitely kind of slips in the ranking as we get toward the end of the film but mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah i was like i already bought the corsage it was 12 dollars or something like that it's it was like 12 dollars yeah. oh yeah yeah it's an orchid oh my god as he walks to the dance jennifer sneaks up on him asking if he heard her calling his name she asks if he's worried about needy too but then tries to make him believe that colin's death is impacting needy so much because she was cheating on him. And then, of course, starts to come on to Chip. Oh, we skipped over the scene. Sorry, we, we were talking about it. When Jennifer is putting on makeup in the mirror and crying. Oh, um, yeah. she ha- well, she has like like a, a couple of tears fall down her cheeks. But I mm-hmm. love, like I said before, I love that scene because of what it does. I think that's like the shift from viewing Jennifer as a monstrous villain of sorts to viewing her as pretty much the cursed victim of this asshole indie band who was using her body for using her body. I just realized how important that is for their own, Mm -hmm. for their own progression and advancement and achievement. So yeah. Yeah. There it is. That's why I love that scene. It's like the way that Adam Brody 
sorry, Nikolai. Let's use his character name because Adam Brody is not this way. The way that, that Nikolai <laughs> treats Jennifer is like a placeholder, and then she's doing the exact same thing. I think that there's some nice narrative parallels there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just going for anyone. Well, at first she wasn't going for anyone close to needy, but it quickly became that. It, and mo- like, like I think most things in Jennifer's life, it quickly became about me. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that Chip is dumb for going to the dance <laughs> because Needy <laughs> explicitly told him not to. She at least knew. I mean, she knew the whole thing, but she was like, the only assignment she gave him was just mm-hmm. don't go the fucking dance, and he did. That's also why I think he's really not great. Like that takes him down. He's being kind, but at the same time, he's being condescending. Yeah, that yeah. that definitely knocks him down the ranking because mm-hmm. he totally just ignores that. Like, at least yeah. just do yeah. the one thing for her to, like, kind of lessen her anxiety. But no, he just fucking goes because he already bought the damn yeah. flower. On the one hand, like, I understand, like, maybe he's like, well, she's going to go with Jennifer anyway. So that probably hurts his pride. But still. Still. <sighs> you did it to yourself, man. You did it to yourself. Just don't go to the dance. Yeah. That's all you have to How do. hard is that? Exactly. You have one job, Chip. One job, Chip. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the prom, it's revealed that Low Shoulder has come back to perform. While hate-watching, Needy gets a psychic <laughs> spidey sense that Chip must be in danger. She rushes out of the prom to go to his house where his mom informs her that he's already left and probably cut through the park. Jennifer leads Chip to an abandoned swimming pool where she tries to make some moves on him, but Chip tries to stop them, and in a rage, Jennifer shoves him into the old, dirty pool water and throws him around with her demon strength. Yuck. I think that I did want to quickly talk about the costuming for this this, this whole bit, because I think that their prom dresses are so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love, like, the sort of, like, 80s throwback vibes of, honestly, both of their dresses. And I also love that they put Jennifer in a white dress. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because they knew what they were doing. I think Needy's whole outfit is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so ugly. Plus the hair. It's even worse because she's running. Mm-hmm. So, like, her hair is even worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, girl. It's good, though. It's really good, though. And I love, I just love the visual of, like, them yelling at each other in the prom dresses. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Chip's wearing a scarf of some sort. Like, a formal <laughs> scarf. I don't and it's like why i don't know uh it's like one of those things where like are people gonna look back on this movie and think that people dressed like that in 2009 no way <laughs> there's no way maybe it just it seems like so weirdly removed from the time period while also being so steeped in the time is this period. how people talked in 2009 it's like no but like the music is dead fucking on you give, like, me, that's- <laughs> you give me a wedding Ah, that's one of the most tragic parts of the Colin scene is that line. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. <laughs> oh my god, I can't handle any of it, but I I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Needy manages to find them and the dropped orchid corsage Chip had gotten for her and attacks Jennifer as soon as she starts to eat Chip. Jennifer swims toward them, and Needy pepper sprays her in the face, but it only really makes Jennifer vomit black ichor on the two of them. Yay! (laughs) Jennifer and Needy finally have their showdown. Jennifer snaps and charges toward her, but Chip impales her. 
snaps and charges toward her after saying, I go both ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the showdown, honestly, the showdown between them was a little anticlimactic for me, but. Yeah. Agree. A big agree. But yeah, she says, she tells Needy that she's going to, I think, eat her soul and shit it out. And mm-hmm. yeah. he's like, I thought you only murdered boys. And then she says the iconic line, I go both ways. Well, go both ways. Yep. And then she gets impaled. Truly, truly good. But also yet another way that the film, like, very obviously connects sex and violence. Right. No, that was, no, that was exactly what I was thinking, too. Like, she murders yes. both, both sexes. Mm-hmm. And she has sex <laughs> she wants to have sex with she has so she yeah linking sex. sexuality with with violence for sure yeah. i would definitely agree with you guys though i think that the big issue is that the jennifer needy showdown is not as good as it should be right mm-hmm. even though we get like a part two in the bedroom yeah. it's still it's not it's just it doesn't it needed it. something else yeah it needed something and more. then it ends with her going with jennifer going do you have a tampon I just thought you might be plugging. And I was like, okay. Like that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. And then she just like limps away. Yeah. I do kind of think watching Jennifer like limp away at the end is kind of funny. Like she like kind of, she like flies and then just like slams. It's like, (laughs) it's that I like, Mm -hmm. but yeah, the dialogue in that scene, it's not, it's just not as crisp. It was first draft dialogue for sure. (laughs) (laughs) so chip dies yeah not even sorry he was really boring (laughs) before he dies he looks like dies finally thank god (laughs) yeah Uh, before he dies though he looks like a real dick because he has to admit that he should have believed her like come on but anyway needy resolves to get revenge and we finally come back to the beginning of the first flashback or Needy is creeping on Jennifer in her bedroom. She crashes in through the window like Kool-Aid Man. <laughs> Needy stabs around wildly trying to get Jennifer's heart. And uh, as the two fight, Needy rips off Jennifer's BFF necklace, which seems to genuinely affect her and gives mm-hmm. Needy the opening she needs to stab her quite literally in the heart. Yeah, it is interesting because i i do like that that is the thing that gives jennifer pause Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that that is really good and very telling and i do i do honestly like when you know needy kills jennifer and then jennifer says my tit (laughs) and then (laughs) (laughs) love that i I love that she says it too (laughs) it's so good i (laughs) Just for everyone at home, we do this thing uh, when we record, because <laughs> we record on Zencaster and you get to give yourself a little name. And instead of using our actual names, we always just like choose something dumb from the movie. <laughs> and Heidi, unsurprisingly, chose Through the Trees. <laughs> That's our music stand right there. Um, Laura chose Oweti, which is... That's what she chose. <laughs> that was funny. It is funny. No, no, it's, it's hilarious. I'm just like kind of shook you chose it. And then I, of course, chose my tit. <laughs> I also considered Adam Brody's neck tattoo, but that's too Ooh, long. Yeah. So I can't choose that. Yeah, I don't know. My tit was just the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did. I wanted more from this scene. I just wanted yeah. more, more of the tension. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I get why it's a big deal. It's a, obviously Needy needs to be upset that Chip died. Like I get that, 
and I understand that but like it's not about Chip and I wanted yeah. more of just her and Jennifer instead of her Jennifer and Chip I think that that's exactly right though is that her motivation to kill Jennifer becomes less about I'm trying to save my friend from being a monster to you killed my mm-hmm. plain boyfriend and yeah now I'm upset at you and like that's the thing that mm-hmm. has ruined our friendship yeah mm-hmm it's like this time you went you went too far yeah and you like genuinely hurt me like i i think that it makes complete sense and i think that i'm not upset by the unfolding of all of it because i do think that it's one of those things where it's like they're just imploding like the relationship Mm -hmm. is imploding Mm -hmm. and that wedge that we've been talking about has just been getting worse and worse throughout the entire movie and they've been pitting themselves against each other despite the fact that they have such like have this like connection well and i think that i also think that by that time needy has caught on to the fact that jennifer is going after people who she values and who are close to her because she i mean that's Mm -hmm. the reason why she tells chip we're not safe and we're together like you can't we can't be doing this right now because you are in danger if you are close to me Mm -hmm. yeah so it's kind of like she probably didn't anticipate that ever stopping as long as jennifer was a demon yeah when her mom comes in it's just it's really a bummer yeah i i yeah i was like god that's sad but like i think it should be sad because as i said i read the end of the film as a tragedy Mm -hmm. jennifer's not defeated because at the end of the day we like to forget this but at the end of the day jennifer is a teenage girl Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and i think those like small moments where we get to remember that jennifer is a teenage girl are what really drive home the fact that this is like this is sad like this is a girl who does not know what to do with herself doesn't know what to do with her body mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do with her feelings and is making poor choices because of that and then when you see her mom like grab her corpse it's like oh fuck mm-hmm. all the commotion does draw jennifer's mom's attention and she storms in and sees needy hovering over jennifer's body with a box cutter in her hand looking totally insane a box cutter yeah that's 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 funny you buy all your do you buy all of your murder weapons at home depot (laughs) that was funny and also the fact that it's a box cutter and boxes slang for vagina (laughs) oh i got you now i got you now but yeah the yeah how how butch (laughs) (laughs) so funny continue heidi i'm so sorry back in the present Needy informs us that apparently if you're bitten by a demon and survive, you get demon powers like your Spider-Man. With her newly explained <laughs> power, Needy just busts her way out of the isolation ward. And as she's walking back, she finds where the Devil's Kettle Whirlpool spits things out, including the knife that Low Shoulder used to kill Jennifer. Needy manages to flag down a driver who asks where she might be going, and she's like, I'm following a rock band, and tonight's going to be their last show cut to the credits do you guys think that the the devil's kettle like whirlpool waterfall thing has any like meaning besides being a plot device no. i think it's just a plot device like i wish yeah. that it had something else but i know i really <laughs> wish it did because it's cool like the idea of mm-hmm. that is really interesting and i'm almost more intrigued yeah. by that than most of the other things in the film like what's up with Scream! that waterfall <laughs> you fucking would though What's you're like a oh, natural like, phenomenon yo yeah you're like let, let me know more about this weird magic waterfall because <laughs> i mean like they have the um they have that scene 
where they sacrifice her at that place intentionally because yeah. the evidence yeah. will be washed away. And I think it's right. implied that they put her in the waterfall and that's why she wakes up where she is. Oh. But like, there's something interesting about that waterfall and I want it to be something more, but I don't think that it is. I think it's just a plot device and the reason that they go to Devil's Kettle. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like a rebirth metaphor, like she comes out of the whirlpool canal. Out she's of the a demon womb? now. Out of the whirlpool canal. I can see your womb, Earth. I can see <laughs> your womb. <sighs> yeah, maybe. I mean, that'd be cool. Listeners, if you have any ideas about the whirlpool, please let us know. Heidi, I'm sure we'll yeah. would love to engage in that conversation. For sure, I was I was literally just like sitting here watching it and being like, I just don't know. Does it mean so? Does it mean something? <laughs> yeah. I think I read somewhere that it was supposed to be just like one of those like small town like sideshow attractions or whatever, where like you know how like you have the world's biggest ball of yarn. Yeah, this one has devil's kettle. Like that's just its little claim to fame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this film would have? worked if it had been more of a revenge film on the band i think it would have been really kind of fun that would make it kind of more like tragedy girls in a sense because it would be the two of them kind of teaming up Mm -hmm. versus the band which i think would have been really fun Mm -hmm. unfortunately i don't think that i think that would have changed the narrative a little bit to the point where it's not as much about jennifer and needy the same way but I do think that would have been more fun. And we also would have gotten more Adam Brody, which I would have Though enjoyed. Though it could have, you know, they, it could have been like a Thelma and Louise type of situation where they're, you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. fuck it, we're, we're going all out. We're ride or die. Literally. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening too, if they were to go after the band together. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that as much as I wish that this movie ended with Jennifer and Needy, like still being besties or whatever, I think that the story that they're telling about this kind of relationship kind of has to end this way because there is, there's just like something very strange about that sort of like adolescent female friendship relationship thing where you have so much going on that you bond so intensely Mm -hmm. with like the people around you or like specifically with uh, like a, like a girl, like a a friend who is a girl Mm -hmm. and how messy that can get. Cause like, I don't know about you guys, but, like, the, I guess, like, friend breakups that I've been through have been, like, way more devastating than, like, ending relationships with, like, like, romantic partners in some ways. Like, there is something about that that, like, just hits different. And I think that this film does a really good job of getting to that, the root of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you add that, like, second layer of, like, it being, like, this also sort of, like, romantic and sexual attraction, it makes even more sense. But also kind of showcases that, like, there was no way that this relationship was going to work Mm -hmm. baseline because they were never on equal footing. Even in the beginning, we have it very clearly stated that they're not, this is not an equal relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's that scene where Chip says something like, you always do what Jennifer tells you to do. And needy tries to explain that away by saying no like i i want to do all these things we just have we have similar interests and you know mm-hmm. we we like the same things and you got to tell that that's not necessarily true yeah for sure yeah cuz it's a lot more like she just likes whatever jennifer likes because she likes jennifer mm-hmm. 
which is interesting. And I think that I think that there are not a lot of movies that get at this kind of friendship mm-hmm. so accurately. For sure. I would agree with you. Yeah, I think that the way the movie was presented and like marketed is way different from what you can actually read from it mm-hmm. when you take a critical lens to it. Because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, all the advertisements for this movie and just thinking it was just a dumb a dumb teenage boy movie really and yeah when you actually watch it looking for the deeper meaning because there is meaning there obviously it's very very different and more satisfying i think Mm -hmm. and also like if we're just gonna step back for a second like some of the horror aspects of this film are really cool too like some of the effects are cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i think that what they do to jennifer is fascinating in terms of like her like the way her appearance changes throughout the film Mm mm-hmm I think that's really cool. And I think that the some of the more suspense oriented set pieces are really good. So I think that they're I think this is a solid horror movie. I don't think that this is like the best movie ever made. I don't even think it's the best movie in the subgenre. Mm-hmm. But I do really think that it speaks to a very specific time in horror films mm-hmm. in general, where we start to see like more of that campiness sort of seep in and become a little more mainstream. And I think the cult success of this really launched that sort of campy horror comedy subgenre into new heights in the coming decade. Because we got some really wild movies mm-hmm. <laughs> within the last 10 years. Yeah. I don't really have anything else that I wanted to say. I do really like this movie. I think it's really fun. I think that this also probably would have been a good one to do as like a commentary track, but there was a lot that I wanted to discuss about it. So I'm glad that we did it in this format. And also like, I know that like every fucking horror film podcast out there has covered this movie. Like I know that. And um, I know that we're not like bringing a lot of brand new shit to the table, but I feel like it was a disservice to us to not cover this film just because it is so a hundred percent like in the wheelhouse of the kind of films we want to talk about. And because like it, was one of those movies that really impacted me as a horror fan in terms of like my development in the genre and like obviously my story with it personally is like interesting mm-hmm. so I- i'm glad that we got a chance to talk about it yeah don't apologize for picking this you silly goose. no i i would have <laughs> picked it probably anyway so yeah it's an important one to talk about there are layers to it that i yeah. think like an onion exactly unless you kind of sit down and try to pick them apart it's gonna look like just a stupid movie on the surface yeah which is why it has probably a 45 percent on rotten tomatoes i do think it's unfortunate that most of the movies in this genre about like girls going a little going a little off Mm -hmm. and uh, becoming like some sort of like monstrous thing usually end in like some really sad way Mm -hmm. like that's upsetting because like most of my favorite movies are like that but all of them end like upsettingly i guess raw kind of doesn't because they both are alive at the end Mm -hmm. of the movie um (laughs) but i i think that of the genre this is one of the more upbeat entries (laughs) All right. Well, that was our episode on Jennifer's body. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. We definitely had a good time talking about this film. And we usually at this point, we give you guys a preview of what we're going to do next time. But we are actually still at the drawing board on that one. We're kind of playing it by ear. We're 
going by the seat of our pants. We're following where the vibes take us. So we will probably post something on our social media if you guys want to watch the movie ahead of time before the episode drops. Keep your eyes peeled for maybe another Minnesota commentary coming out pretty soon. And let us know if you have any other suggestions for movies that you'd like us to cover, movies that you'd like us to watch with you guys, or just like things in general that you'd like us to talk about. Um, you can follow us, like I said, on our Instagram at Slashers Prefer Blondes Podcast. You can reach out to us there with any suggestions, comments, concerns. Um, you can also leave us a rating and review on the podcatcher of your choice. That really means a lot to us. It's really nice to know that you guys are liking the podcast. And it also helps us get out to be seen and heard by more people. So thank you so much. And we will see you guys in the next one. Stay spooky, everybody. And a podcast. Through the trees, <laughs> I, will I will find, find you. you. I, I will be. Wait, is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. know. I'm stopping. <laughs> what are we always, what are I'm stopping. Words. Hold on. I just had them up through the trees. <laughs>